Hacking Master Your Mindset with Nate Skula and Kim Adele. Hey. Hi, Kim. Nice to see you. And you. How are things going? Very well, thanks. Just uh, working on my confidence spectrum as we speak. <laughs> it's uh it's fascinating though isn't it how confidence actually affects your behavior and there are so many dimensions to it right you know from this sort of imposter syndrome uh and Dunning-Kruger and all of these things that kind of surround it right and you've coined this term the confidence spectrum haven't you really yeah I guess when I was looking into it, I was trying to understand kind of why is there so many differences around our confidence? How many times that we can either be really confident or lack that confidence? And we've got the outer edges of that of that spectrum. So you know, on the one hand, we've got people whose belief in their ability is significantly greater than their actual ability. So we've all seen those people that think they walk on water and they're going, oh, my God, they're, they're really not very good at whatever it is that they're um, purporting to be brilliant at. And we know that sometimes that's classed as Dunning-Kruger. But we've also got loads of people on the other side where they doubt their ability. They believe that they're a fraud, that they shouldn't have the accolades or the job or the career or the relationship that they've got because they can't see why they deserve them. So there we're seeing what somebody whose belief is not aligned to their um, ability, but in the totally other way, their ability is greater than their belief in themselves so that kind of got me thinking well they're the two ends of it so what is it we're trying to achieve and what we're trying to achieve I believe is genuine confidence it's that element where our belief and our ability are actually completely aligned so we are trusting ourselves we understand that we can do the things that we're doing and therefore we can be truly confident and the thing is we move around the spectrum all the time and it could even be situational because you know for example if I have to do something like this and start going live then I'm way over on the side where I doubt myself and start panicking about what I'm going to say and feel like a massive imposter but when I'm doing beans on toast for my little girl it's pretty much okay (laughs) I think I've got that I'm I'm in that moment confident that I can do what it is that I'm being asked to do so I so I, I know for me personally I can move around dependent on uh what the activity is that I'm doing. Um, and I think I'm probably not alone in that. Yeah. I I think I can sort of talk from my own personal experience. You know, when, when I kind of don't feel confident about one thing, I might be able to kind of use a, a belief in myself from something else that says, well, you're really good at that. Why can't you be good at this? And why can't you? It doesn't mean I'm over-egging what I can do, but it means that, I can I can kind of manage that feeling of lack. I would probably call uh, probably call it to be honest. Yeah, but I think sometimes it is. It's just looking at, at things and breaking it down, isn't it? And saying, well, hold on, I've never done that before, but what have I done that's similar to it? We see this a lot in people's careers, where you know you have a particular job and you might want to change industry, and you go, well, I can't change industry because you know all my background says that I've done X, Y, or Z. But when instead you look at the skill and say, okay, what is the skill that I've got? And actually, is that transferable? So, for example, if you're a leader, people are people. So if you're a really good leader in one industry, you'll be able to be a really good leader in another industry. 
because your role is about leading the people. It's about setting the expectations. It's about providing the right environment where those people can really thrive. Um, and you're supporting them to be the best that they can be. You don't need to be able to do their role. You need to be able to motivate, engage and enthuse them to do it well and to want to do more. So so when we look at some of these skills, they're very similar. You know, if I'm in um, if I'm in code writing, then I can I could move to write code for a different industry because the code writing itself, that skill is mine. What I'd need to learn is how that fits into the architecture of the new industry. So I think sometimes it's, it's breaking it down and being able to say, OK, well, I can't I don't know how to do this, but can I do a bit of it? Is there any element of it that I can go, well, OK, maybe I could do that part. And then how can I learn the other bits? And yeah, I've been really fortunate. I've managed to move um, across a variety of industries, um, which has been great. And I was very, very lucky because I was often invited across industry sectors by people that had worked with me in the past. So they knew what I was skilled at. And therefore, when they moved industry, they'd be like, oh, why don't you come and, and do this over here? We're looking for somebody who's got your skill set, who's got your knowledge base. So because of that, it helped. But once I'd done it the first couple of times, I did it for myself. I actually went out to other industries and put myself out there to say, do you know what? Actually, the skills that I've got are transferable against these challenges that you're facing and these bits that you need to um, develop is what you've got your people for. So I trust my ability to be able to get the best out of the people and therefore they will help educate me on those elements. But this is what I can bring. So helping them see how you can easily fit into that role for them. Yeah, I I, uh, I think there's a lot to be a lot to be said about cross industry experience. I think you know you can take things which perhaps might be you know, old hat in one industry and then take them to another and they can be like cutting edge, right? But in terms of in terms of like aligning your abilities with your let me see, how do I put this? Confidence, right? How how can you kind of analyze that? Um so I guess so I guess for me I always look at, you know, what what is what's my belief and then what are the facts? So I shared this once before when I got my first ever coach. I believed I'd got a coach because I was hopeless and that they just wanted me to get better or move. Um, And it turned out neither of those were true. But I was in a place where my belief in myself was significantly lower than my ability. And this coach um, said to me, I still remember it. He said, you know, why do you you think you're sat in this meeting with me? And I said, well, because I'm not very good. Um, And it was like, okay. What evidence have you got? Well, I haven't got any evidence. I just don't feel very good. I don't feel like I'm very competent. And he was like, okay, uh, is there any evidence that you could be good at your job? And I was like, no, I don't think so. Can't think of anything. And he was like, right, can I give you some facts? And I was like, of course, that'd be great. I'm really up for anything that is going to help me to be the best that I can be. And he said, well, you're in your fourth consecutive quarter of double digit growth. And I went, that's true. And he said, you've got the most engaged workforce Um, in the organization in fact your engagement scores are higher than our five-year aspiration I was like yeah that's that's also true so you just won leader of the year I was like "Uh uh-huh yeah that's equally true he said right on this fact base do you still think you're not very good at your job and I said well I feel a bit silly 
<laughs> yes, I do. I know all of those to be facts, but I still have a feeling in here that I'm not um, good enough, that I shouldn't have this. And so he actually got me to start thinking about what what facts were they? What was I making it mean? Because what we tend to respond to is what we've made it mean, not what's actually happening. So because I had got this really big job and um, I was still holding on to the fact that all I've actually got from an educational point of view is an MVQ in hairdressing. So I didn't feel I deserved it because I was leading these people that had got degrees, they'd got masters, they'd done all of the education. And there was me with my little MVQ going, well, follow me, um, I'll lead the way. So I had to go and understand, okay, but what was it that I really needed to do? How was it that I was connecting with them? And that's when you really start to look into the things that you're good at, which is actually talking to people, listening to people, understanding what's important to them, and then trying to create that for them so that they actually get to move forward in a positive way. Well, I learned all of that as a hairdresser. So once I was able to take my hairdressing skills and go, okay, how do I apply these to leadership? And how do I gain confidence in that? Well, I had the confidence because I've got a little certificate that said that I could cut <laughs> somebody else had passed me to say that my work was good enough and I think that's one of the biggest challenges we live in a society that's compare and despair we look at everybody else's seemingly perfect view view of the world and we look at our own messy reality and find ourselves lacking but the reality is you know we don't post the picture of of ourselves with no makeup on when we've had an all-nighter because our little one's not been very well or we don't post the picture when we burnt dinner because we weren't paying attention or we, we got carried away doing something else. They happen. We just don't share them. So we're looking at an airbrushed view of everybody else's world. And yet the reality is all of us have got a little bit of mess that we're trying our best to deal with. And it's because we have a strive for perfection. But the reality is we are perfectly imperfect and we have to embrace our imperfection. It makes us who we are. That doesn't mean to say we don't try and learn new skills. We don't try and learn ways to improve ourselves, but not beat ourselves up. And I think we need to be kinder to ourselves in the same way we try and be kind to others. Yeah, I think it's it's a really interesting dynamic, trying to get the balance right between confidence and overconfidence and skill, you know, upskilling all the time, right? And I mean, we run we run this imposter syndrome uh, Facebook group whereby a lot of people from from corporate jobs, they they join the group and and they post messages and say, you know, I feel really hopeless. I'm not sure that I can do this job. And it's like, well, the fact the facts speak for themselves. When you see that someone has perhaps been in a in a job 10 years, okay, 15 years, perhaps. Right. And then someone says, well, we'd like to give you um, two or three people to manage. And then they're like, well, um, I'm really not sure I can do this. And, and then, their, then their confidence goes absolutely to the floor. And it's like, well, but the facts speak for themselves that someone in a higher position who has management abilities has come along and said, well, you're going to do this because I know that you're amazing at what you do. And if they provide them the, the, the support, they could, they could become a fantastic manager, right, and go on to teach those skills to the next generation, you know, but they get stuck. They get stuck in this 
in this kind of rut for maybe a month, maybe maybe it's it's more than a month. It could be it could be longer when they're always worried that someone's going to find out that actually they they really can't do what someone with 20, 30, 40 years of experience has asked them to do. It's I find it fascinating. The whole study of this is is very interesting, really. Yeah, but I think it's twofold. I think the first one is whenever we go to do something new, we go through the competence cycle. So we start off and we are unconsciously incompetent because we don't know what it is we're going to need to do to be able to do it. If you think about when you first drive a car and you first go for your first lesson, you've got no idea what you, what you don't know what you don't know. Um, then you get in the car and they start to tell you what it is you need to do. Apologies, Pudding's decided he wants to come and say hi. Um, and you then are very consciously incompetent. They've pointed out all the things you've got to do and you don't know how to do them. So you're like, oh, my goodness. Um, then actually what happens is you become consciously competent. So you now know how to do it, but you have to think about it. You have to really consider every action. And then if you're like me, you've been driving like nearly 30 years, well, 30 plus years, um, you actually now do it unconsciously. So you become unconsciously competent because you don't have to think about it anymore. It's something that you something that you do with ease. So I think that's one of the things. When you first move into a new role, you are you go through that cycle. But the second one is it was your point that said you know, somebody um, is giving you their belief that that you're good at this. That's why they've given you the role. The problem is we don't do that overtly. We don't tell people that the reason that we've promoted them or the reason we've given them this project or the reason that we're asking them to do this is because we have absolute and utter faith that they are the right people to do it. Um, instead, we just go, oh, here's the promotion or here's the, you know, you've been successful for that job. And in doing so, there is a lack of belief. So one of the things that I try and do now for, for my people and I encourage my clients to do it, and they've all said it's had amazing results, is when you ask somebody to do something, tell them why you're picking them. Tell them specifically what it is about them. <laughs> what it is about them. That, oh, my goodness, you're excitable today, aren't you? Um, what it is about them that you that made you pick them, that made you decide that actually that's who, you know, that's why they were suitable for that role. Super, super. Well, we're going to continue conversations around this. We're just planning out our content strategy for the next uh, two and a half months or so. And yeah, we, uh, we we thank everybody for signing up to our newsletter. We're really quite excited about that. And thank you, Kim. It's uh, enjoyable working with you. It's crazy the time of day right now, like the sun is just about to hit me in the eyes and you've got this puppy that's <laughs> just trying to eat me. Um, so on that note, we'd probably best say goodbye. Yeah. Thanks all. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Master Mindset. Please don't forget to follow wherever you listen and tell your This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.